CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live Bible answer program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a question on the Bible or the Christian faith, you can call us at 1 888 827 5276. That's 1 888 Ask CSN. Now let's get things started. Here's today's host. And hello, everybody. I'm Jeff Wickwire, filling in today for Mike Kessler. And it's good to have you with us on To Every Man and Answer. We're here to answer Bible questions. You know, the days in which we live, I think a lot of people are starting to look up and look around and uh, kind of wondering what in the world is going on. As Paul the Apostle predicted uh, in 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, that in the last days, very perilous, dangerous stressful times would come with many people departing from the faith and all kinds of cataclysmic things going on around us. Uh, even Jesus, when asked what the signs of the last days would be, immediately talked about deception. In Matthew 24, he mentions uh, false Christs, false prophets. Um, be careful, really on guard that you're not deceived because there's going to be a lot of pandemic deception out there regarding the things of God, regarding spiritual truth, regarding philosophical truth, things designed to lure you away from the way, the truth, and the life, who is, of course, Jesus Christ. So we want to answer the Bible questions that you've got. And uh with me today is, oh, by the way, the number is 8888-ASK. CSN. Uh, we got lines open right now. Give us a call with your Bible question, 8888-ASK-CSN. And uh, the numbers of, of those letters would actually be 888-827-5276, whichever you choose. We'd love to hear from you. Throw us a question. We can't wait to answer those Bible questions and try to clear the cobwebs out and uh, maybe help you uh, get along in your walk with God just a little bit better. Now, with me today is Mike McIntosh, and he's the former pastor of Horizon Christian Fellowship in San Diego, and he pastored that church for 41 years, and then did one of the best things you can do, handed it over to his son, and now he is an evangelist at large, traveling here and there and everywhere, ministering the Word of God, and Mike, it's good to have you with us today. Well, Jeff, it's my privilege to be with you. And it was actually 41 years and four days. Oh, you're counting the days, eh? Yeah, I was counting the days, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like you couldn't wait to uh, step down. You know, when you're when you're ready to go, you're ready to go. Yeah, that's a very good point you make. Uh, a lot of people go beyond their stay. I asked, uh, I was on the platform one time with Billy Graham at a crusade. I think it was up in Portland. And I was sitting next to one of his sons, uh, Ned, and to uh, Sherwood Wirt, who was the editor of Decision Magazine. And I said, why isn't Mr. Graham on television? He was just starting to walk to the pulpit. I said, Woody, why isn't Billy on uh, television every day? Like, uh, say, some others, and I named a few others. And he said, he leaned over and he said, Mike, Mr. Graham's a Southern gentleman, and he doesn't want to wear his welcome out in people's homes. And I thought, Oh, wow. there you go. Don't, yeah. I want to wear out his welcome. Yeah. And, uh, when our time that God has given us, we, we should be sensitive to it because he always has other doors to open for us 
and we don't want to limit him. I'd like to just say one thing, and I'll be quiet here, is I appreciate you saying uh, about the end times philosophical deceptions. And the reason is mm-hmm. there are a lot of nice people that are thinkers, but they haven't found Jesus yet and the wisdom right. of God, and they're philosophical. And they're even struggling, Jeff, with many of the things that are happening around the world and being said in education centers. And so it's good that you recognize that because there are uh, philosophical Christian thinkers, but uh, I always concern myself about the Mm non-Christian, and that's a good point you bring out, the philosophical deception. They're being deceived. like the. It would be really, really – yeah, without God – I just can't imagine right now, you know, uh, philosophy that is not biblical, uh, always has a dead end. It always ends up being a cul-de-sac. Yes. You never really actually arrive at any kind of ultimate truth or satisfactory spiritual fulfillment. It's just philosophy. And, um, you know, these days, uh, along with everything else, America, for one, has taken an incredible philosophical nosedive oh, into boy. just insanity. And uh, so we need sanity. We need clear answers uh, to really, really honest questions. And so, again, I want to say to our folks out there listening, uh, if you want to give us a call, it's 8888-ASK-CSM. And uh, throw your Bible question our way. We'll do our very best to answer it. I'm Jeff Wickwire, pastor of Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, it's good to be coming to you from Fort Worth where the weather is beautiful Perfect. It's bike riding weather, motorcycle weather, do something outdoors weather. So great to have you with us from coast to coast in every time zone. And let's go right now to Daryl. And uh, Daryl is in Aberdeen, Washington. Hello, Daryl. How can we help? Hello, sir. It's beautiful up here, too. I wish there was a, a counterpoint by point against uh, or, or that would reference things that comes out of the Bible project. because. Uh, someone very dear to me has really been studying a lot on the Bible over the last some years and has really got hooked on to following these fellows from the Bible Project, but they they take the Bible and uh, there's, there's they, they take the literary standpoint as opposed to a okay. literal standpoint. Right. And um, I have been having this discussion ongoing for years um, over over some of the different points. Um, one that, that was brought up was that in Joshua 10, uh, 36 through 39, it talks about how um, the Israelites were to go in and completely wipe out, well, in that area, it's, they're talking about different cities that the, they, they've gone in and wiped out the uh, inhabitants of these areas and reading back into it, the people at the Bible project say, well, these weren't really cities. These were more military, um, uh, military outposts, basically. Um, So it wasn't that they were killing women and children, but then um, the other point that they bring up is that in Joshua 15 or 15 and verse 15, um, it mentions, well, I can, in 1039, I believe it is, it, it mentions specifically the town of Debir, D-E-B-I-R. And right. then in Joshua 15, 15, it says, Then he went up there 
from there to the inhabitants of Debir. And and it's like, okay, but and then it goes on to talk about the Canaanites that they met there. Well, the question is, if they wiped out all the Canaanites when they were there before, and here we are only five chapters later, and we're going up there and meeting them again. Is this they repopulated? Okay. Is this just, you know, they bring a bunch more people back into the city or what? Well, okay, there's a lot. You've gone through a lot of things. Let me just take a couple of, of, of the things you said initially. First of all, um, they did take cities. These were not just military strongholds. They were told to take cities. And this is one of the things that atheists and, and Bible skeptics bring up, all, bring up all the time. That if God were a God of love, how in the world did he send um, his people into these these various cities in the in the uh, in Canaan, and tell them to destroy and to take off the face of the planet, not just the men but the women and children, to totally slaughter everything. How could a God of love have done that? And so that is a that's one of the favorite arguments of atheists, and it is a difficult passage to read, or several passages that go into this. We find God telling uh, the children of Israel, go into the land of Canaan, into the various cities, and take out the inhabitants. And we need to go back to Genesis when God spoke to Abraham and told him that the children of Israel were going to be in Egypt in slavery for 400 years, that they would be captive for 400 years. And then they would be set free, delivered, and would be taken into the promised land. Then God said, because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So 400 years before the invasion of God's people into these cities, God had seen that these pagan nations, godless nations, we're not going to repent. We're never going to turn to God. And we're going to continue in their iniquity until what, what the Bible calls the cup of iniquity is full. You know, God has a line in the sand. We don't know what that line is. Only God knows what it is. But it's like a line in the sand or when the cup of iniquity is officially full, that God says there's nothing more I can do with this culture but judge it. Clearly, the cup of iniquity uh, came to the brim in Noah's day. The cup of iniquity came to the brim in Sodom and Gomorrah's day. And um, now, with the Amalekites, the Amorites, and all the other rites that inhabited Canaan, uh, the cup of iniquity was finally full. When you study the way they lived, what they were doing, the things they were practicing— the depravity, the horror, the nightmare. These Canaanite pagan nations and peoples uh, were burning their children alive unto false gods. They were incredibly violent, vicious, cruel, bloodthirsty. They worshipped uh, every god in the world but the right god. Uh, they were sexually perverse. Um, there, there was not one redeeming factor in these people. So finally, God said, all right, I'm going to send judgment. Now, where we have the problem 
is that God sent his people and said, I want you to judge them. I want you to be the ones to go in, wipe them out, including the women and children. Don't leave anything alive. People say, well, why the women and children? Well, there are several things you can say about that. First of all, the women were just as guilty as the men. They stood there while their children often were sacrificed in fire. Imagine that, burning your child alive unto a false god. The women stood there in total agreement with it. Okay, so murdering their children. So that alone is a capital offense. The children, if the children had not been, um, I believe, sent to heaven, I don't believe they went to hell. I believe they were before the age of accountability. The ones uh, that were young enough to be before the age of accountability went to heaven. But what life would they have had with no parents? How could they have possibly survived the wilderness with the wild animals, disease, everything in the world? So God said, I, I want everything taken out. Now let's also remember in Noah's flood, men, women, and children died. Every human being on earth died except Noah, Mrs. Noah, and Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. Everything else died. Uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah, men, women, and children died in, in God's judgment. So what you had with the children of Israel entering Canaan and doing what they did, we, we kind of are shocked by it and we're taken back by it, but we forget that the same thing happened with Sodom and Gomorrah, the same thing happened with the flood. It just wasn't done by human instrumentality. So uh, very important to remember. I don't know if that helps, Daryl, but um, the, the claim of the Bible project that they weren't genuine cities is not true. They were genuine cities, and they had been there for centuries, and the children of Israel went in and took them out. Right. Yeah, uh, Mike, the- do you have any thoughts? Well, I would like to back up what you said here. Um, in the 10th chapter of Joshua, which Daryl spoke of, it does say in verse uh, 38 and 39, Joshua returned and all Israel with him to Deber and fought against it. And he took it and the king thereof and all the cities thereof. So Deber was more of a region than just the single, but the king found himself there. He, uh, the king was thereof in all the cities thereof, and they smote them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed all the souls that were therein. He left nothing remaining as he had done in Hebron. Same thing he did in, uh, Deber, which he's given us an example in, um, Acts, I believe it's chapter 14. He's speaking to the Jews, Paul is. And he says, uh, in times past, God allowed the nations to go whatever way they wanted, but he never left them without a witness. And he takes the simplicity of the stars, the wind, good things happen in their life, the world around them. But then he came down and he set the commandments down and how men should live. And just like uh, Jeff said, uh, Daryl, that there is a reason for this. These were godless people. They weren't people with a body, soul, and spirit. And the Bible tells us that we have a body, a soul, and a spirit. And many years ago, I realized I'm interacting with two-dimensional people, and now I'm a third dimension. But I have to remember 
the good parts of when I was a two-dimensional person and have compassion in the spirit for them. So I was in Washington, D.C. I've got a lot of law enforcement, military uh, background, especially in debriefings and counseling, uh, people coming back from Iraq, Afghanistan, police officers and shooting, that type thing, Ground Zero, Oklahoma City, Sandy Hook, and many high school situation shootings. And uh, I was at a meeting in Washington, D.C., and South America had a real problem, and it sort of answers your question. One of the chiefs of one of the biggest cities in South America, one of the biggest in the world, I said, sir, these stories of these gangs of fatherless children, 50 at a time, going into the tourist area and beating people up and stealing their money, going into the stores like we see in New York and Chicago now, the gangs, and stealing the things they want. Is this true? And he said, yes, it is. I said, okay. Um, the word is, is law enforcement, military are killing these children if they don't arrest them and they fight them back. And he said, Mike, when you have a bunch of small mice, they turn into big rats. Now, that has its own interpretation, I'm sure. But the point being, uh, not only would they grow up fatherless, but they would probably grow up more wicked than their father because they don't have that third dimension of the Holy Spirit, let alone yeah. access to God's word. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. Uh, Daryl, does that help? question that I don't know how to answer is that okay. here five chapters later, he conquered. Are you there? Yes, sir. I'm sorry, Daryl, we lost you. We, we dropped your signal dropped. Can you repeat oh, the last sentence? Um, it is just that uh, uh, five chapters later, where it says uh, in chapter 15, that the region are you in chapter of, 15. Yes, in chapter 15. And um, the verse, please. Uh, 13 through 15. 15 in particular mentions Debir by name. Okay. But they've already right. killed everyone, and now the region is, is repopulated, and they go back in to reconquer it, evidently. Yeah, well, right. And um, some time could have elapsed in those five chapters, I would have to take a look at it a little bit uh, uh, longer than what I have right now. But um, there is an explanation for that. It may be that some time elapsed and um, they were able to repopulate some. What we do know for sure is if chapter 10 says that all the inhabitants were wiped out, that's what happened. That is what happened because the Bible is historically fully reliable and uh, sometimes what looks like a discrepancy or something a little out of place, if you just do a little homework, you'll find out that it's really not so. Uh, so um, that would be my guess. Some time elapsed, and they had repopulated to a level, and that's what you're reading about. And one last thought, Jeff. In in the military, they have what's called cleanup operations, and you may go in and wipe out something. But there's another team that comes in that cleans up. There could have been residual left over from the major battles. And the next team went in, and that's three chapters later. Yeah, could be. But, uh, Daryl, it's a great question, and I hope it, we helped at least some. Yeah. <laughs> well, is there any particular, like you say, doing the homework, 
do you have some reference material or, or place that I would go to to be able to yes to do that study? What would you suggest? Yes, what, one of my favorite is BibleHub.com, and BibleHub.com is uh, has commentaries. Uh, lang- the language is Hebrew and Greek. Uh, it's a it's a I go to that site probably three times a day at least. And what you do is you would go to chapter 15 and, uh, you know, to the first verse that mentions Deber. And then you click on commentary. And all these various commentators will explain how what happened in chapter 10 happened. And now we're reading this in chapter 15. And I assure you, they will clear the air for you. <laughs> yeah. So that's BibleHub.com. And it's a wonderful site, uh, one of my favorites. And I use BibleGateway.com and BibleHub.com all the time. I mean, it's just a part of my Bible study. So give that a try, and I assure you they will explain it. Wonderful. Wonderful. Hey, thank you so much. All right, Daryl. Well, thank you so much for calling. And uh, you be blessed there in Aberdeen, Washington. And uh, stay on the line. We'll get you a couple of DVDs, a couple of books for calling. And uh, be blessed, Daryl. Thank you. And let's go now to Alicia in Dallas. Alicia, Hi, how can hello. we help? Yes. I, okay, I had called yesterday. And so I had heard some wonderful things yesterday. And so as I was driving home, I was thinking, and I just want y'all input on it, um, how the enemy comes, you know, and presents you, you know, something and say, oh, yeah, it's fine that you do it. And after you start to do it, then he starts to torment you with that. And I think <laughs> yeah. I had said something about um, like homosexuals and lesbians. And I was thinking how the enemy would present that to them and make them think that, oh, it's okay that you are with another woman, another man. But after you get in it, people don't realize how mental, mm-hmm. you know, they become, you know, as far as their lifestyle and they own medications and stuff. What do you all think about that? Well, yeah, the devil's job is to make wrong look right, to make bad look good. He's a tempter. That That is one of his titles. He is the tempter. And the tempter has been working on human beings for thousands of years. He knows how to tempt. And Satan, it's important to remember, never, ever, ever shows his end game. He only shows you the beginning uh, benefits or what he calls benefits. You know, if you do this, you're going to get that out of it. If you go here, you know, you're going to find fulfillment. Um, just like he did with Eve. You know, if, God knows that if you eat the, the fruit from this tree, that you're going to be like God. Uh, you're not going to die. You're going to be like God. Don't you want to be like God, Eve? Don't you want to know like God knows? And she finally believed him because he made wrong look right. That's his expertise. That's his modus operandi. That's what the devil does. But what he will never do is show you the end consequences. He never does. Now, one thing you'll notice about the Bible, the Bible is very, very faithful to tell you the consequences, the end game. Uh, Right up front, the Bible will tell you, if you do this, Here's the consequences. This is what you're going to reap. 
And the Bible tells you the truth about what you're being tempted to do so that it's a warning. It's a stop sign in the middle of the road. Don't go there because if you go there, here's what's going to happen to you. Uh, but the, the devil is the opposite. The devil dangles the bait in front of you and says, here you go. And he focuses on your initial benefits. Here's the, here's the immediate benefits you're going to get. The Bible, on the other hand, says here's the end game consequences. They're going to be tragic, painful. You're going to be full of guilt, regret, and you're going to lose. You're going to be a loser every time. Sin subtracts. Obedience multiplies. So, yeah, that's exactly right. And anytime you can know Satan's tempting you, if it, if you're, if you're being lured to something that is clearly against the word of God, but it's being made to look like somehow or another, you're, you're an exclusion. Uh, you're not typical. Uh, where it has hurt other people, it's not going to hurt you, but you're going to benefit from it. And it's a lie, always a lie. So it's, it's, it's smart and it's part of wisdom to always say, if I do this, what are, what are going to be the end consequences? And just use your sanctified imagination and imagine the end game. If you go there, uh, the people that are going to be hurt, how you're going to be hurt and it will lure, it will pull you away from the temptation, snap you out of it every time. Mike, your thoughts. Well, it's a great question because you've answered it pretty much, Jeff. I'd like to just add this uh, for the benefit of our caller and those that are listening. In Revelation chapter 12, it says that the saints overcome the devil. Now, most people don't know you can overcome him and beat him. They know a verse, you know, resists the devil and they flee from you. But there's three ways we overcome him. Number one is the blood of the lamb. And when we bring Jesus into the conversation that he shed his blood on the cross for our sins, that gets rid of him. Number two, the word of their testimony. America needs Christians shining their testimonies, what God has done for them. Number three, they love not their lives unto death. You overcome the devil when he can't tempt you with things that make you more comfortable in this world. He'll find ways to get at you, but you overcome him. Number one, remember that. We resist, resist him and he flees from us. Uh, but the last thing is, it says, rejoice those of you that are in heaven, but woe to you on earth. For Satan, that old dragon's been cast out, and he's full of wrath because yeah. he knows his time is short. Exactly. Alicia, stay on the line, and we'll be right back with you after this break. And stay with us, everybody. And we'll be right back with more of To Every Man, an Answer. Hi, friends. Pastor Chapin from Calvary Chapel University. Have you been in a season of trials and testings, even tribulations? We're told in Romans 5, that idea of tribulation, tellipsis in the Greek, speaks of crushings. We know that tribulation produces patience, and patience produces experience, and experience produces a hope, a hope that doesn't disappoint. You'll experience that. In addition, we're reminded of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying until he sweat drops of blood. That's a crushing. Perhaps Calvary Chapel University could be part of the Lord's answer to your prayers. Simply go to calvarychapeluniversity.edu and explore, pray and explore and see what the Lord may have for you. 
Most CCU alums, like David Guzik, who's a board member and a graduate of CCU, graduate earlier on time, debt-free, and sound doctrinally. Go to calvarychapeluniversity.edu. That's calvarychapeluniversity.edu and apply today. Perhaps we could be the answer to your prayers. Jesus said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. To the best of our ability, this is what we do here at CSN, the Christian Satellite Network. We send the gospel out 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, reaching many people across the nation. CSN is a listener-supported radio network, and supporting the Lord's work in these days of uncertainty is still the Christian's call. Join with us as the Lord guides you in your financial support of CSN. Send your donation to CSN International. Post Office Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. You can also donate online at csnradio.com. Call today with your financial support at 800-357-4226. Again, our address is CSN International. Post Office Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. Welcome back to To Every Man and Answer. I'm Jeff Wickwire, filling in for Mike Kessler today, and good to have you with us. And we've got some open lines if you want to give us a call, uh, 8888-ASK-CSN, 8888-ASK-CSN. And if you want the number itself, I've got it right here, 888-827-5276. Give us a call with your Bible question, and we'll get to you as soon as we can. You know, and with me is Mike McIntosh. From, uh, all the way from, let me see if I can remember that church, uh, Horizon Christian Fellowship in San Diego. And, uh, you know what, Mike? I'm gonna, I'm gonna shock you with something. I've got in the studio here with me, Paul Krauss Jr. He said he knows you. Yes. Yes. Can you hear me? There you go. Yeah. Yes. He says hello. (laughs) Yeah. Hello, Paul Jr. All right. We won't spend long on that, but it's, uh, I couldn't believe he knew you. So it's a small world, Mike. It is. All right. You know, can I say, Alicia, can I add something coming... about Alicia? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Alicia brings up a good subject that most churches don't talk about, and that's the devil. And uh, there's no reason it's really but to warn people. I, it appears more and more, the closer to the return of the Lord, that he has, that Satan has painted himself into a corner. He's pulled out all of his bags of tricks. And then in Revelation, it says he's full of wrath because, and that gives us the answer. He knows his time is short. So the clock is ticking on him, and he's going to suffer for all the people he's destroyed. While you and I, the little dirt people, the dust people, leave the planet and go to eternity, he's going to be stuck in eternity suffering. And so he's going after God's likeness and image. He's got men thinking they're women, women thinking they're men, men and women that think they're both men and women, mm-hmm. binary X's, mm-hmm. Y's, all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And he's now yeah. trying to destroy the very image and likeness of God. So it should be obvious that he's run out of tricks. It's so obvious when a man does not know if he's a man or a woman, it tells us how weak the society is from in the White House on down that these kind of things are endorsed. Mm-hmm. 
and they march in the streets. We're far beyond Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. And when they can't can't even uh, define woman, a Supreme Court nominee can't even define woman. It's it's nuts. But Alicia, uh, does that help? Yes, yes. I really, I love when you all expound on things and just, you know, be able to help not just me, but everybody else that's listening. And that was the main, you know, reason that I did that to make sure that everybody could hear. So thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you. You That was a great question and you have a blessed day. Stay on the line, Alicia. We'll get a couple of CDs to you for calling in. And let's go now to Ophelia in Nevada. Hello, Ophelia. How can we help? Hi. Um, 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 first of all, I'd like to thank you guys for what you do. It's such a blessing to all of us here in uh, Las Vegas. I am in Henderson, uh, and um, I'm from San Diego, so I kind of know where the, the other gentleman is originally. But um, I was at a church, visiting a church. Me and my husband was trying to find a church home, and the minister mentioned that he's said that there are no more apostles being pointed and there are no more prophets. And I wanted to get you guys' take on that. Well, that's a great question and one that is increasingly relevant in our day. Um, I would say this. I don't believe there's any more capital A apostles or capital <laughs> P prophets. Um Because when you look at the purpose for the apostles, for instance, Jesus selected them after being all night in prayer. He called them out and he appointed the 12. Now, when you look at what they were called to do, we're told that they were called to lay the foundation of the local church. They were to be the architects of the local church. The local church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Now, what does that mean? God used some of the apostles, not all of them, but some of them to write the scriptures, write the epistles, to give us the word of God, uh, and to write a couple of the gospels. Uh, Dr. Luke was not an apostle, but he, he wrote Book of Luke, of course. But um, a couple of them were apostles. And so you had the apostles being used by God to write inerrant scripture, all right? And after that, after the scripture was finished, after the canon was complete, the canon being the, the the Bible as a whole, then the purpose of the apostles, one of the purposes, was finished. They laid the foundation. Now, are those apostles still speaking to us today? Absolutely. Where? Where from? From the word of God. Every time I read, like first Corinthians, I'm, I'm, Paul is teaching me and he's telling me about local church. If I read Ephesians, Paul, the architect of the local church, uh, who had so much to say about the local church is teaching me about how it's to function, how it's to be run, what local church leadership looks like, so on and so forth. Now, those 12 apostles. I say we're the apostles with a capital A, and I don't believe there's any more of those. There's nobody that's going to be raised up apostolically today that's going to write inerrant scripture. It's just not going to happen. Now, when it comes to prophets, um, there is a difference 
in my understanding, between Old Testament and New Testament prophets. If you look at the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 14, for instance, it says, it says, here it is, that let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. That's 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Now, notice when people prophesy in the New Testament, other believers are supposed to judge it. Was it from God? Not from God. Is it valid? Not valid. Was it of the Holy Spirit? Not of the Holy Spirit. But if you go to the Old Testament, you don't find God telling the children of Israel, now when Isaiah prophesies, I want you to judge it. No, he doesn't. Because when Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Amos, all the rest, when they prophesied, it was the very word of God, uh, and it was became a part of inerrant scripture. But in the New Testament, as a departure from the Old Testament, we're told to judge it. We're told to judge prophecies. Well, you wouldn't be told to judge it unless it could possibly be wrong. And what I see happening in our day is uh, people are prophesying major prophecies, like uh, the whole time, for instance, uh, that Trump was running again. Everybody and their dog was prophesying that Trump was going to win a second consecutive term. And he didn't. All right? Now, to me, that's a great example because that brought a lot of reproach on the body of Christ. That ABC picked up on that, uh, Fox picked up on that, CNN picked up on that, and it opened the door for the church to be ridiculed. Uh, CBS did a, a major story on it. So to me, those prophecies are examples of something that should have been judged before it was delivered on a worldwide platform like social media. You look at social mm. media these days, and I'm telling you, everybody, everybody, again, and their dog are self-appointed prophets. Crazy things are prophesied. Things that if you know your Bible at all, you would know it's not true. And yet, they have thousands of followers. Somebody ought to be judging those prophecies who knows the Word of God and saying, you know what? Maybe not. Maybe that's not the Lord. Can we, can we at least get to the place where we're free to say, I don't think that's God and not be castigated or called or, or accused of grieving the spirit or being judgmental or whatever. So Mike, your thoughts on this? Well, Alicia, this is good that you brought this up because there is a lot of goofiness Ophelia. going on as Jeff, just, uh, Ophelia, I'm sorry. Uh, the, mm-hmm. Jeff mentioned the internet. Everything is suspect. And anything to do with Jesus should be gentle and kind and meek and should be truthful and honest and filled with the Holy Spirit. And this whole concept that he brings out is foreign to a major portion of the body of Christ uh, that he just quoted, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, let the prophets speak two or three, let the others judge. If anything be revealed to another that sits by, well, let the first one hold his peace. Why? For you may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. And here's the key. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. And that's what Jeff just brought out. 
was this confusion that happens. And the word prophet literally means sent out one. These men in the New Testament were sent out by the Lord to do the work, to plant the church all over wherever God sent them. And then we were gifted. But like Jeff just clearly said in the Old Testament, nobody challenged Elisha because God backed up everything he said with a huge miracle. So there are a lot of people uh, thinking more highly of themselves than they should. And I've learned after being a pastor over 50 years is that the body of Christ is the body of Christ. One has the eye, one is nose, one is an ear, one is a hand, and that we're to share with one another. There are no hierarchy structures in the body of Christ. The gift of a pastor teacher is to serve you. But some pastors, you'd think they were peacock said mm-hmm. Orlando Disney World or something strutting around that they're important. Mm-hmm. So be very cautious. You, yeah. I can tell you already are cautious. Uh, but this is very good that you bring it out because most of the body stands back if somebody says, thus saith the Lord. And then what do they do when the like was just brought out? The Lord didn't say that. And you never see yeah. those people again. It's important. Yeah, and it's important to point out, Mike, also, uh, the word apostle, uh, Ophelia, this is important. The, the word apostle is the Greek word apost- uh, uh, apostolos. And apostolos just means uh, sent one, just sent one, one that is sent. That's all that it means. So if you want to call yourself an apostle today, what you're actually saying is, I'm an apostolos, that is, I'm a sent one. Well, okay, if you want to use the word <laughs> apostle to describe the way you're sent, then that's great. But it's not a capital A apostle. There were 12. There's never going to be another one like those. Those are unique. And then prophet is not just talking about foretelling the future, but it also means foretelling the word of God. A, A preacher is prophesying when he preaches the word of God. So it's not always talking about future forecasts but it's also talking about just proclaiming the Word of God. Does that help, Ophelia? It does. And would you agree that there is no more prophecy about the coming of Christ? That that was, I think, more of what he was trying to say, too. I would agree with that. You know, people that get into setting dates and all of that, it's never, that never goes well. And uh, so I think that the Bible has so much about the coming of Christ already the best thing we can do is just preach what it already says. Uh, the signs are all around us. There's nothing wrong with pointing out those signs, nothing at all. But when people start predicting, you know, God showed me this date or that date or the other date, you can know right then it's not going to happen because Jesus Absolutely. said, no man knows the day or the hour. So, Ophelia, great question. Thank you for calling all the way from Nevada and uh, stay on the line. And we'll get you a couple of CD, uh, CDs or books for calling in. And uh, you have a blessed day, okay? You too. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, dear. All right, let's go to Charles in Henderson, Nevada. Hello, Charles. How can we help? Hey, boss. Um, first of all, I just want to bless <laughs> in the name of the Lord, all your, you, your family, uh, the ministry, and the body of Jesus. Uh, I have my own question, but I also have a comment on the question about driving out the Canaanites. Um, in Judges okay. 1, 
27 to 33, it says that God did tell them to drive them out, but they failed. And uh, it tells, like, uh, I mean, if you guys read it, it'll say that they, that, that they were told to drive them out, but they didn't do it. So that's the answer to the other guy's question. Um, yeah, it's question, important. It's important to point out, uh, just real quick, Charles, it's important to point out they didn't drive them all out, but they did empty whole cities. They just yep. didn't complete the total task, but they did drive them out of many cities. So it was sort of a, um, I don't know, 80% success rate somewhere around there. So go ahead with your next question. Um, my question is, uh, for in Acts seven fourteen, it says, so Joseph sent a message to his father, Jacob, telling him and the whole family, 75 people are now to come to Egypt. And uh, that references in Exodus 1-5, but it's, in Exodus it says, the total number of these people directly descended from Jacob was 70. His son Joseph was already there. So I grabbed a whole bunch of Bibles, and they all say 70. And then I grabbed the Septuagint, and that one does say 75. Cause, um, you know, So I kind of answered my own question. But, uh, yeah, just maybe mm-hmm. if you could add, add some insight on that, uh, you know, maybe why was it changed or whatnot. Yeah, the, the margin in my Bible says 70. So why they put 75 here, it probably had to do with the manuscript they used to translate the New King James, because there are like three different distinct manuscripts um, in particular that have been used to translate uh, modern versions of the Bible, uh, Texas Receptus, uh, Westcott and Hort, a um, couple of others. But um, sometimes you'll see a little discrepancy like this. It'll say 75, but you'll note that in the margin, the uh, translators uh, took the trouble to put 70. So says 75 in the actual text, but they corrected or offered uh, the other number 70 in the margin. So I don't think it's a big deal. Uh, it's just one of those things where a little bit of research will settle it for you. Septuagint doesn't surprise me that it's a little bit different, but suffice it to say, uh, because of Joseph, the main message of the text is that God sent Joseph by his sovereign hand. It looked mm-hmm. like his brothers were ruining him. It looks like, uh, when you read the story initially, it looks like, you know, if you're watching from the sidelines, well, Joseph is destroyed here by his brothers. But the Bible says in the Psalms, God sent Joseph. He just sovereignly Mm -hmm. used the brothers. And he was sent to Egypt (laughs) to save the, those, uh, you know, the, the Hebrew people, the Hebrew race. Uh, so he became not only, uh, the man who God used to keep all of Egypt from starving, but he also used him to save the chosen race so that they weren't wiped out in this famine. Uh, and it's an amazing, amazing uh, example of the sovereignty of God at work through wicked instrumentality. It shows you that even when men are wicked, God is able to overrule that and use their wickedness for his purposes. Mike? It's interesting you bring that up because the sovereignty of God is something that we all need to 
understand so that we can experience it in our own hearts, our own lives. Um, that is a, such a great story. When Joseph went out to see his brothers, you remember that they wanted to kill him. And uh, he's walking around and a certain man says, what are you looking for? He said, my father's sheep and my brother's. We don't know who that certain person was, but he said, they're no longer here at Shechem. They've gone to Dothan. And Dothan means a place of two wells. And it's interesting that one of them must have been empty because they put Joseph in it. And it changed his whole life. And there's not one scripture that tells us what happened in his heart as a young 17-year-old boy. But God spoke to him. And from that time on, he was raised up to be one of the most powerful men in history. And yet God's sovereignty prepared for his father to come. And, you know, these are the things when people doubt the Bible, and you brought it up great, how you said in the margin, you claim that, the Septuagint, the writing, the transfer from English and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to get you away from what God has done. If they can get a number, a date, a time, a place, which in archaeology is all acceptable that there are differences, um, but when they nail it, that's one thing. But not, I, I'd say, what am I getting distracted from over a simple number? And it's that whole pro, uh, process of sovereignty that you just brought out. The real story yeah, is it's, there. It, yeah, exactly. It's it's sort of like, okay, 70, 75. But the main gist is this amazing story. You know, I've been reading the Bible my whole life. I cannot, to this day, read the story of Joseph and not weep when it comes to uh, him revealing himself to his brothers after they oh, have come yes. down and, and uh, looking for food and all of that. And uh, after all those years, when he uh, reveals himself to his brothers, I, I, I tear up every time. It's just an amazing story huh. of God's sovereignty. And I hope that, I hope that helps Charles. No, it absolutely does. Yeah, it's definitely God's plan. He uses our suffering to perfect us. And even Joseph, like he had the yes. dream that that their brothers would bow down to them. So God already had it planned, you know, that he would be sent to Egypt. It's just that everybody needs to live out God's plan. And, uh, you know, I'm happy that uh, we are able to see Jesus as our Savior, that we don't have the blindfold as many people out there do, um, you know, so... Mm. That's a miracle in, in its own. Yeah. You know, God bless you yeah. guys. Yeah. And uh, thank you for and it's, helping It's me important. Out. One thing, it's a, one thing that, I, that I love about Joseph is it teaches us. You know, bad people do bad things to good people sometimes. And if you're a Christian mm-hmm. and, and somebody really wrongs you in some way or another, it, it's, it's nice to remember Joseph and how Joseph, you know, it, he made his famous statement there at the end of the narrative about him in Genesis. Uh, what you meant, he's telling his brothers this, what you meant for evil, God yeah. meant for good to save many people alive. Yeah. So Joseph was able hmm. to see the hand of God working through wicked people. And, you know, he hasn't changed. And sometimes when people really run a number on us, do something wrong, betray us, lie about us, do about us, do something like that. It's important to remember the story of Joseph and how God can work it for your good as well. So, Charles, thank you for calling. Yeah. And uh, stay on the line. We'll get you a couple of CDs and books for calling in. And you have a blessed uh, day there in Nevada. Let's go to Andrew now in Eureka, 
Hey, California. Andrew, how can we help? Um, um, well, I was raised Catholic and taught a lot of things that I know now were not correct. And one of them I was curious about was praying for the souls of people who passed away. Is, is there any biblical support that that does any good? I don't, couldn't, I can't find any. No, there's not. Uh, it, the Bible says emphatically, it's given unto a man to die once, and after that, the judgment. And, uh, you know, to, to pray for somebody after they're gone. Now, that is a Catholic teaching uh, that was taught um, in the Middle Ages. Uh, it was used uh, to further the false belief of purgatory, and that you could, uh, of course, naturally give money to the Catholic Church, and uh, it was called condolences. And um, then, um, you know, your, your loved ones would eventually be sprung from purgatory because you gave money to the Catholic Church. And, of course, the whole thing was false. So, um, no, once somebody is gone, that is when it's too late to pray for them. And uh, certainly you can't talk with them either because they're gone. Your thoughts, Mike? Hmm. Well, that's... Very important. It, he's asking this question, I think, on behalf of a lot of people. First Corinthians 15 tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And um, once the spirit has left the body, we're in the Lord's hands if we know him. And he's told that tremendous story about the rich man that died. And he's saying, send over your servant with a drop of water on his fingers to touch my tongue to quench my thirst. And that tells us that there's feelings and emotions in the pit of hell. And then he says, no, nobody can come from here to there. And then he said, well, send somebody to my father's house. I have five brothers that he don't know. And uh, Abraham said, well, even if we sent somebody from the dead, your father and five brothers wouldn't believe. So once we've made a decision here on earth, we're either going one way or the other. And it's so important that everyone makes that decision and accepts that God loves them yeah. and he has forgiven them of their sins and that his son paid the price for them. Yeah, exactly. And I made a mistake. I called it condolences. It's not condolences, it's indulgences. But that was a Catholic teaching as well. Infuriated Martin Luther. Martin Luther saw this, this racket that yes. was going on with the Catholic church. They needed money to build these incredible cathedrals they wanted to build. So they, they created this doctrine of purgatory. And then that uh, if you gave indulgences, which was money and their chief fundraiser was named Johann Tetzel and Tetzel would go from uh, town to town, raising money to spring loved ones from purgatory. And it wasn't even real, but anyway, our time is up fastest hour in radio. I appreciate all of you being with us today on to every man and answer. Thanks Mike. And until next time, God bless all You're of you. Welcome, Have a Jeff. great weekend. We'll see you next time. To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. 
To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 